What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Monkey Finance Show podcast. Today, I'll be recording episode number 66. It is September 1st. Uh, This might be dropping September 2nd. I'm sorry. I'm a day late. Um, I've been very busy. I'm a busy, busy bee. Uh, But really, this episode, I kind of just want to touch on uh, what's been going on with me. I'm going to clue you in a little bit not just into my financial life, a little bit into my personal life. I know I I try not to get too personal. I think I'm not not like a star. I don't think you guys want to keep up with with Makila, keeping up with the Kardashians. Um, But, you know, it's important to talk to you sometimes and help you understand, you know, I'm just a regular guy. And stuff that happens to average day or average people, everyday people, it happens to me too. Uh, So if you did or didn't know or didn't catch the video that I talked about where I messed up. I uh back in December of 2021, I took my $60,000 emergency fund which was a a fully funded two-year emergency fund. Um I took it and I used that as a down payment to buy the property that I'm in right now. Obviously in June of 21, I sold my property uh netted somewhere around $85,000, I don't know the exact number. Um and some of that money I put into that emergency fund that beefed it up to 60. Some of that money I invested. Some of that money I used uh, for other uh, expenses. And basically, I, I broke uh, one of my nine rules to financial freedom, which is have a fully funded emergency fund because emergencies do happen, right? They're real. We don't live in like a simulation. This is r- the real world. And you never know when emergency is going to strike. So I did that. And then two months later, I had to sell some money to um, pay property taxes on, the, on this new property because the seller gave me the uh, the, the credit for 2020 But because they lived here in 2020. I moved in in 2021. I'm sorry, 2022. Uh, but they lived here in 2021. So they I pay the taxes, but they gave me the credit. Um, so I, I sold a little bit there, $8,000 I needed, uh, cover those. And then, uh, fast forward to last month at the beginning of August. Um, first I had, uh, a, a medical emergency. Then I had a dental emergency. So those two combined, uh, cost me another 10,000 out of my pocket that I, I had to sell to cover those emergencies. So where I stand now, I, I have about $7,000-ish saved up in cash um, trying to fully get back to a at least a three-month emergency fund, which for me, uh, roughly right now, it's costing about forty-five, call it 5000 a month, uh, all in expenses. I could probably make it on 4500 but... Um, so the goal again now is going to be try to get that emergency fund to fifteen thousand as quickly as possible. Uh, the other issue I've uh, sort of run into is realizing uh, how expensive a kid can be, especially a growing kid, right? So uh, for those of you that don't know, last year, uh, almost a year now since my son was born, and you know it's it's my firstborn and. Like most new parents, me and my wife, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. Um, one from a aspect of not getting enough sleep, right? That was the first couple of months. That was the issue, and now it's really uh, a kid that's growing, changing, needing 
um, new things. Uh, it's costing us a lot of money, right? Something we didn't, I don't want to say we didn't budget, we budgeted it for it, but something we didn't fully expect, right? So we we could easily, before our son, we could easily live off of, um, comfortably live off of about $48,000 a year, which was great because, you know, we were making one fifty, one sixty dollars after taxes, taking home one say 120 and living off 48 uh you know do the math there but it's over 80 grand that we can save and we did right we we did that in 2018 when we paid off $87,000 worth of debt in 11 months and we did that in the subsequent years 2019 2020 2021 uh you know we we're investing well over $90,000 a year in those 3 years to to get to a point where we're at now and fast forward to uh, now Obviously, I quit my job last year. It's been, are we at 19 months now since I've been semi-retired? And I'm not going to lie to you, semi-retired is still probably busier than when I was working a full-time job. And that probably has a lot to do with the kid, right? Because now um, my wife works in the day and I kind of do a lot of my coaching stuff at night. And then whenever I can, I record a video or, or this podcast now, which just looks like it's going to a monthly <laughs> uh, recording. I, I, I kind of pencil my schedule in there. And then weekends are probably spent really with uh, a family, you know, grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles and all that, you know, everybody wants to see the kid, right? So that's my life right now. It's a, it's a busy life. It's a complex, complex life. And it's really a life of a lot of unexpected stuff. Um, I didn't foresee one um, a baby formula food shortage. Uh, luckily, we weren't as affected as most families because we got our formula from Europe from day from day one. Well, actually, not right away. My wife was breastfeeding for a while, but we get our formula from Europe, and it's a hefty, hefty price for it. It's fifty bucks a can, and a can lasts less than probably a week. I would say a can lasts five days. So just the formula really is breaking the bank. Um, obviously, diapers and uh, diaper creams and lotions, shampoos. I mean, everything that you can think of that an adult needs, baby needs like twice of that. I feel like I buy myself one bar of soap in the last six months, and this kid's going through lotions and shampoos and diaper creams every every month. And, of course, we... Um, we try to uh, buy higher quality products. Now, I know we could probably get away with some lower quality stuff. We just, um, it's our, what we want, right? We we don't want to be stingy. Obviously, health is something that uh, we care for a lot when it comes to our son. And we just don't, we don't want to be stingy when it comes to, you know, him having better, healthier quality products. So we tend to buy top of the line stuff. And that's why... You know, a box of diapers, it's costing me, you know, 55 bucks a box <laughs> when I can, you know, go to Costco and buy the store brand for a lot less. Same thing with all these other products. Anyways, right now, it's it's costing us about $60,000, $61,000 a year uh, to, to live. So it's it's a whole heck of a lot more than it was last year. Off that forty-eight, right? So we're looking at twelve to fourteen thousand dollar increase in our living expenses, which is pretty big for us because 
we, since I've quit my job, we've kind of primarily been a one and a half income family, right? Like you got my wife working a full-time job and I'm piecing together part-time work trying to make $20,000 a year. So it's not a lot of money. Um, right now, our projections are somewhere around ninety to 100000 this year. It's not, you know, after taxes and health insurance and um, all that good stuff, we're not going to be clearing much, right? We're going to be, uh, because we still uh, obviously invest in, in our Roth IRAs, we still invest in 401k and HSA. So once you take all those deductions out, uh, there's not really any more money left over, right? It's like up to 60000 I'm there, I'm hitting that line. Uh, after taxes, I think we get 72. And after those investments, the two Roths alone put us at, at the 60,000 mark. So I've had to, uh, do a lot of thinking and to figure out, okay, if we continue on this path and I start burning money, cause right now, um, my taxable account was almost when, when I quit my job, <laughs> excuse me, my, when I quit my job, it was at 38,000. And then obviously the sale of that real estate property, I got it almost up to a hundred. It was a 97 was the height. And today I would say it's around 58, 59,000, right? So some of that has been market fluctuation, but really a lot of that has been me pulling money out. I did an initial $20,000 withdrawal at the beginning of the year to fund the Roths and the 8,000 for property taxes. And then I did another 10,000 withdrawal to um, pay for these uh, medical debts and maybe about 6,000 has been lost in the market. So, you know, 58,000 is not a lot of money and we can continue to burn through that. And I, I think, you know, at this rate, pretty comfortable to say I'll need to pull maybe 10,000 from there every year to, or 12,000, I should say, to fund those Roths, 13,000 next year when the limit goes up. Uh, and that's the way I'm going to have to fund the Roths. Like I can't, generate enough income to fund the Roths any other way because it's just after the 401k and HSA, we just don't have the money left over. So we've been thinking about that. And there's a few things that I put on the table. One is um, I've uh, been uh, talking to a a um, investment firm here locally who uh, the owner is, um, we kind of got chit-chatting and He's interested in training somebody for 18 months. I obviously get my Series 65, 63 licensing and and train under his wing and then eventually uh, become a uh, a financial advisor. So kind of be more like a financial representative at first where I learn the ropes and I don't really get any client, clients on my own. I just kind of get to um, help uh, the financial advisor by, you know, making phone calls and doing a lot of the administrative stuff uh, that's involved. They're they're a really small firm, so it's not like, you know, the big boys where a lot of their stuff is uh, is done by the actual financial advisor or by the uh, financial representative. So there's that route. Um, that would obviously mean a huge income jump for us. Um, it's about almost $60,000 a year on the training and then uh, six figures up as a financial advisor. I've given that a lot of thought. Um, It sounds like it would be the right way to go to to continue my career in the financial services space. Now, there's a catch with that. And uh, this is something that, you know, when I talk to the owner, 
He said, basically, well, he, he looked at my YouTube work and he said, well, you have to get rid of any uh, funds or any individual securities that you talk on your YouTube channel. Once you get your licensing, you can't do that. FINRA and SEC will come after you for that. And so you're going to have to, basically what he was saying is not delete the channel, but get rid of a lot of your content. No more portfolio updates. Nothing that shows like specific funds. Right? you got to speak on very broad general terms. I, I I like the YouTube stuff because it's it's been um, something that I grew from nothing to something, um, and I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of um, you know giving a, that mm, holistic advice um, for free because I think you know a lot of people can be do-it-yourself investors. They just need to be pointed in the right direction. So you know there is that that I'm juggling. Obviously, this podcast I, I don't talk about like specific investments here i try to gear the podcast more towards personal finance stuff uh, maybe a little bit of uh, now in this episode life update stuff but uh you know the podcast is just me sitting in a, in a dark room with 30 minutes in front of a mic recording so uh, that's fine so there's that that's the first option uh, i did pick up another uh, part-time gig add that to my YouTube coaching and, and podcasting of being a youth umpire. Uh, so umpiring youth baseball games, you know, pays 60, 80 bucks a game. Uh, it's kind of flexible. It's actually really flexible. So can work nights, weekends, really a lot of flexibility in that. Again, this is not something that's going to break uh, my um, financial problems. It's not going to help me break through. It's just really enough money to pay a couple of bills, maybe a cell phone, an internet bill or something like that. So that's not really getting me to where I need to be. The other thing that I've considered, um, heavily considered, is actually if if I still want to keep the YouTube channel and keep everything going, is to be in a field where I'm not licensed as a financial advisor, but still, you know, be around the financial services industry because I do I do want to have um what's the word I'm looking for I want to have ties to to that industry because when I worked in the financial services industry for a year and a half I I got to meet a lot of cool people there were coworkers I got to meet a lot of clients I got to see uh, a lot of people's financial situations, and I found that intriguing. And and being in a role where I could help them, obviously not through the investment, selling investment products, but help them by uh, just kind of educating them on credit card debt or car loan debt, it was really cool. And and I had fun doing that. And I met some really cool people. Some people I still keep in contact with today. So that's still on the table. I you know I got a few doors open there. A lot of those are, are are paying much less than what the projections are for being a financial advisor. Like, you know, I'd be leaving the six-figure salary on the table for maybe topping out at 75, 80K. And, you know, I it's not about... So, sometimes if I feel like I have to take care of myself first before I can help others, right? So I've dedicated these last 18 months to primarily just doing the YouTube and, and the financial coaching, which doesn't bring in a lot of income, but I feel like it has a great impact on other people's lives. People that want to tune into the message and listen. 
and it it has honestly set me back and i'm okay with that i knew it would right i knew a huge you know you don't go from making 165,000 a year to making $90,000 a year and not feel that i knew i would feel that i just didn't know i would feel it to this extent with with how much more expensive life is how much more messier life is with the medical issues i've been having now thankfully knock on wood you know everything seems to have cleared up medically for me um which which is great and i think i need to make some uh lifestyle changes in that in that uh, spectrum as well and, and make healthier decisions about you know how, what i'm putting into my body and you know i'm only getting older so obviously if i can make those changes now to live a hopefully a longer healthier life and uh, the other thing is uh, at the end of the day, how much do I value my time versus having to go back to a full-time job, right? Like a full-time job at the minimum is going to be 40 hours. So that's 40 hours that I'm going to be away from my son. Me and my son have probably spent, gosh, and I'm not lowballing this, by the way, 95% of of every day for the first year of his life, I've been there present. As a matter of fact, today he took his first steps. I was the only one home and so proud of that. And man, just warm my heart to see him take his, took four steps from the coffee table to the couch. And just, man, that, that was just beautiful to me. And, you know, whether it was the first words being Dada or seeing him crawl for the first time and, you know, helping him, uh, figure out how to throw a ball or helping him, you know, uh, with, with flashcards, reading to him, all these different things, um, that I've done over the year and that I really, really treasure. Like I treasure it so much. I have to give that up, right. To, to go back to the workforce. And that too is, is a very, very difficult decision. One of the reasons, and I don't know if I've ever disclosed this before, but I'll disclose it now. Um, one of the reasons me and my wife struggled to start a family, one was it was difficult for us, but two was in my head, my energy was always, I always wanted to make sure my finances were right so that when we brought a kid into this world, I could give that kid my time, my attention, and money would not be a problem. And I always told this to my wife. I said, I just, when we were in debt, I felt like we were not there. We were not ready. And everybody's saying, you're never going to be ready. Everybody kept telling me, you're, this is, there's no, and there's truth to that. But being financially ready really um, made this whole process a lot easier for us. And now that we're at a step where we technically have made it, we just have to keep up with her. So like we made it from a sense like if we never invest in another dollar, we're still on a multi-million dollar trajectory. So all we have to do is just make enough money to pay whatever our monthly obligations are. And we can afford to do that today in the position we're in. So I'm kind of torn between that and the fact that Having spent the last year with my son has, for me personally, meant so much in 
in the way that my mind has shifted in the way I'm seeing things playing out in my life. And not just that, but seeing that uh, change in my son, like being able to spend all that time with him, I feel like has made our bond so close that it's very difficult for me now to walk out that door, go somewhere for eight hours and not yearn and want to be with him, right? It's like the other day, it was so funny. You know, he was throwing a fit about uh, something, or the remote. He was pushing the remote around and I took it away from him. I said, no, you can't do that. Anyways, he threw a fit and I was like, oh, I'm leaving, bye. And we go get my haircut and I came back and I'm like, God dang, I missed this kid. Like I was gone for 45 minutes and I missed him so much. So, you know, there is that aspect of it. And I know, you know, if I went out and did did the job, came back, once I got into that routine, it'll become normal. But I just like the way we have it now. You know, my wife works from home. I work from home part time and we're around our kid 24-7. We don't have a nanny. We don't have babysitters. We are everything to him. And that's what we wanted, right? We wanted to be those kind of parents. We wanted to be parents that could be there for their kids. You know, my parents made a huge sacrifice. They came to this country as war refugees, um, and they had to work two jobs so that they can provide a better life for me. And now that I have a better life, I'm not forced to do or make the sacrifices they made uh, because I knew in my childhood that our family was different than most families because my parents couldn't come to my games, right? Because they were working. And I respected that. And, and they helped put me through school, made sure there was a roof above my head, made sure I didn't go into student loan debt. They did all that for me so that I could have a better life. And I'm forever grateful and indebted to them. But one thing I think as kids that we yearn for the most is our parents' attention, it's not like what their money buys us, but it's the, those times that they spend with us. And I can see it in my son now when just me walking out the door for 45 minutes to get a haircut, not only is he all flustered and crying and upset that I'm leaving, but you know that's normal behavior for a 10-month-old. But then when I come back, like I feel that same thing. I'm like, dang, I'm so mad I left. I, I miss this little guy. So it's... It's very tough, and I'm just, you know, I know I'm kind of letting all the personal emotions out here. I try not to bring this side out of me. Uh, I think it's very personal stuff, but I feel like sharing on this podcast. So episode 66 is more of like um, you guys sitting down with me and we're having a chat, although it's a one, one-sided chat, but you get to, you know, see the things that are happening in my life, uh, which might have maybe help you maybe not i don't know if anybody out there you know feels this i know a lot of people that watch me do have kids uh so i'm sure you guys have you know certain uh, relationships that you built with your kids which make certain aspects of your life really tough but that's the dilemma that i'm facing um i don't know which way i'm gonna go i still don't i don't know am i gonna go for the money and uh, maybe a couple of years from now, uh, once I do become, you know, a financial advisor with a big clientele, uh, make, you know, my 150, 200,000 for a couple of years and then hang it up. Uh, or do I continue to stay uh, in this semi-retirement phase 
and uh, really say screw it to all the investing stuff. I'm done investing. Uh, I'm just going to live my life, hang out with my kid, and enjoy those memories. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, when you're laying there on your deathbed and you got your loved ones around you, it's not about nobody's going to, hopefully at least, uh, nobody's going to be asking how big my portfolio is. They're going to be hopefully amongst themselves talking about the different memories we made together. And I think that's, at the end of the day, what's important in life is those memories, those connections, those relationships that you make with your friends and your family, your kids, that have those everlasting effects, not just while you're alive, but even beyond those years, right? Like, I I think of my grandpa. He passed away in January of 2019. Uh, but he, I looked up to him like I look up, you know, like a father. And he had so many of those um, everlasting memories that me and him had together that I forever cherish to this day. I think back on the lessons he's taught me on uh, not just money lessons, but life lessons in how to be, you know, a good moral, ethical person, how to stand for something, how to have, you know, a set of beliefs uh, that can't be bought. Like there's no amount of money that can buy what I believe. And if it wasn't for him taking the time and really etching that belief system into my core, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And I have that same uh, ability now with my son. And granted, if I do go to work, I still will have that ability. It's not like I don't want to make it seem like, hey, I'm going to work and my son, you know, he's not going to get any attention from me. That's not true. But I can already see the um, the impact I can have in his life at such at such a young age. And obviously, if I can continue to make that impact, I can make him uh, be the best person, uh, you know, the best human being that I think he can be. And I'll have a huge impact in that, right? Versus, um, you know, having a... a, a babysitter watch him for eight hours or a nanny watch him for eight hours out of the day which kind of puts and I don't know I don't want to come off as a control freak but it puts like the control out of my hands right like I don't know what that nanny or babysitter is going to do with him for the eight hours versus for eight hours you know me and him are uh, either outside or we're we're doing some kind of a reading or mind memory game or um, you know learning how to crawl or learning how to walk and you know, the feeding and all that stuff that I feel like I have full control over with. But not just that, like having those interactions with him while they seem like, you know, they're like these daily tasks that we always do and we check off the boxes. They actually bring me so much um, joy into my life that it was like the missing link. Like when I was before him, and it's funny, every time I think about this, before him, our life was... Uh, very materialistic, uh, but then we, the back half of our journey was more like experiences, right? So at the beginning, uh, when me and my wife got married, it was all about, you know, buying flashy stuff, cars, motorcycles, vacations, all these things that um, we perceived as stuff that would make us happy. And, you know, it did make us happy temporarily, but it put us into a world of hurt 
financially because we got into a lot of consumer debt. And then, you know, the second half of the journey was uh, becoming so good with my money that I maximized every freaking dollar and, you know, made all my investments streamlined and, you know, go from a negative net worth to 350, now 370,000 in a short amount of time. And I'm so proud of that. And then my son's born. And now it's like a new chapter for me. I'm, I don't care about the materialism stuff. I haven't cared about that for over four years. Um, the experiences I still care about. I still want to, you know, travel and show show my son basically this whole giant um, world we live in. And I want him to have all those experiences. But I, I, I cherish like the day-to-day stuff too. And me in the past, I, I feel like I, the purpose wasn't like the day-to-day. I didn't, the day-to-day was the grind. The purpose was like the stuff behind the grind. Now it's like I enjoy the day-to-day. I enjoy just the regular day, um, which makes life more fun. It also makes, in my opinion, life more meaningful, more worth living. Like um, waking up every day, blessed to have air in my lungs, you know, look at my son, say, hey, buddy, what are we doing today? Let's get the day started, right? Like it's so cool that I get to do that. And I think, I don't know how many dads out there get to do that with their kid every single day. And I, I, I don't know. I just don't want to give it up. So whew, that is um, 30 minutes of me blabbering. I try not to get into my feelings too much. I know in this podcast I did. So if you guys don't want to listen, I completely understand. If some of you are like, yeah, I've I've gone through that. I can relate. Drop me an email. Let's talk dad to dad. Um for the rest of you, thank you guys so much for your patience. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave me a rating and review. Tell me how good or bad I am. I would appreciate it. Next uh, review that I see, I will read live on the air. As always, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day. And remember, move obstacles, keep investing. <laughs>